Well, good morning, church. Hope you're enjoying your great day. We want to let you know a little bit about something. We had a big event happen here in this auditorium on Friday where Salem Baptist Christian School graduated 30 graduates, got to launch them into the future to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Can we celebrate that today? That was awesome. Saying this, honestly, the graduation service, the whole thing um, just reflected the gospel from everything from intros to all the speeches to our commencement address, everything reflected Jesus. You have every reason to be proud of the graduates of Salem Baptist Christian School this year. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. And as you go to Romans chapter 8, we're going to be specifically looking today, um, starting in verse 18, with the idea of hope changes suffering. Now, as we start this process, I want to kind of go back a little bit. When we began Romans uh, 8 two weeks ago, I shared with you that the theme of this chapter is assurance, is assurance. We looked specifically at verses 1 through 17 to discuss how this assurance was through the work of the Holy Spirit liberating us from our past, allowing us to enjoy a secure present while we ultimately await a glorious future. And today in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see Paul narrow his gaze just a bit. He's going to narrow his focus, and we're going to spend time sharing, he's going to spend time sharing with these Roman Christians a little more about their present and what they're going through, all right? You see, Paul is going to address these Romans in their present suffering. Now, when we mapped out Romans last year when we started this, we started mapping out Romans. We had no idea that the passage was going to land where it lands, all right? And I believe in the, in the divine sovereignty of God. You are here today probably going through some form of suffering, or you've just come out of suffering, or you're about to go into suffering. You're thinking, Rick, this is kind of a downer. I got guests today. I get it. But we have to be real. Because Paul gets real here with these Roman Christians. Now, this suffering they're going through may have been some form of persecution. We don't know. He did reference in verse 17 that we followers of Christ will in some way suffer with Jesus. It just goes with the territory. But it could also be the sufferings of Paul himself that he's referring to here. As a matter of fact, um, I think in this case, we see something. I want you to take a look at chapter, I'm sorry, at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's going to be on the screen, verses 23, 28, about five years prior to Paul writing this book, he writes 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 11, verses 23, 28, I'm going to call this Paul's suffering resume. All right? Have you ever written a resume? Have you ever lied on your resume? Hands went down. Okay. Have you ever um, used a synonym generator to say you did something more than you did, right? Okay, so I was an after-school care uh, teacher for a long time, just working with after-school kids. So my resume is facilitated, oversaw and facilitated the care of several young people in their educational experience. What does that mean? I turned on a movie at 345. That's what I did, all right? So anyway, this is his resume, and I don't think he's beefing it. I don't think he's beefing it up at all. Look at it. He says, are they servants of Christ? 
I'm a better one. I'm speaking like a madman. And far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Anybody want to look at that and think, what? How danger? River dangers? I don't know. He goes, on danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false teachers. What's the key word? Danger, all right? In toil and hardship, through a many sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there was the daily pleasure pressure on me from my anxiety for all the churches. Okay? He just walks through this. Listen, let's be honest. This is an impressive resume of suffering. You might look at this and go, man, that, that's crazy. I don't have that. Like if there was a rank, ranking system for suffering, Paul has got to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You're like, listen, I love you. They looked at you weird when you prayed for your meal. You don't get to sit near Paul and go, I get it, Paul. I understand suffering. Fist bump. You don't have that. You don't have it. Okay? Paul has experienced suffering. And I believe this is what he's referring to when we start this passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Let's read it. Look at your, look at your Bible and let's read this together. He says this. For I consider the sufferings of this present time. All those things he just mentioned, by the way, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me stop just for a minute. That word, that phrase there, not worth comparing, is like, it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of my time. For the creation, verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, Adam, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen, it's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Will you join me in prayer? Father, Lord, this text was very weighty to study. And Father, I pray that the message of it would be clearly seen today. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share these words. I need them. I know my friends do. Father, I pray if I say anything today that is just merely my opinion, let it be forever forgotten in the ears of those who are listening, both here and person online. But Lord, may the truths of your word be remembered by everyone who hears them. I pray that everyone who hears this message would forget who gave it to them but they would remember the truth of it. 
Father, may you receive all the glory. And as we get ready to walk through suffering, or we currently walk through suffering, or as we have coming out of suffering, whatever it is, God, may this truth draw our hearts closer to you, the God of all comfort. We pray this in your son's wonderful name. Amen. Now, what Paul is referring to is suffering this passage. I believe he is referring to the troubles that he was facing as, him, as, a, as a missionary. I believe he was experiencing these sufferings, all right? But I think it would be reasonable to suggest here today that all of the suffering he's talking about could kind of be expanded to the struggles you and I face living in this sin-cursed world. We face emotional stress and hurt. I won't ask for a show of hands for all these, but emotional stress and hurt. How many of you guys have had recently one of those days where somebody asked you how you're doing and you either lied to them or you just said, you couldn't say anything. You have physical pain and injury, natural disasters that plague our world, financial loss and poverty, hunger, sickness and disease, and ultimately death. We face this, and I think Paul could be referring to that today too, not just what he went through, but what we go through being humans on this sin-cursed world. Now, if I could boil down the message of Romans 8, verses 18 through 25 to you, I think it would be these three words. Hope changes suffering. Hope changes suffering. Now, what I mean by that sentence is that suffering, if left on its own, only leaves misery. I mean, think about it for a moment. If all we had was this life, with the suffering of this life, what a sad life we lead, correct? I mean, the phrase that was kind of a catchphrase, in, not in my, my home, but my, my friend circle, whenever you complain about the smallest thing, all right, you could complain about anything. Somebody, I had one buddy in my, my, uh, my crew in high school who would say, well, life stinks, then you die. That was, his mo- that was his phrase. I'm thinking he's writing greeting cards right now for Hallmark. He really had a skill um, that I hope he didn't let go. But, but that was his phrase, life stinks, then you die. Imagine if that's true for just a moment. Imagine if life just stinks and then you die and that's it. What a pitiable existence we live. But when our suffering has something beautiful on the other side of it, something glorious beyond it, while it doesn't make the suffering less painful, it does change the the weight of the suffering, doesn't it? You understand what I mean by that? You're still going through the suffering, but the heaviness of it isn't as heavy because you know there's something beautiful beyond it. Any mother in here who's ever had a baby, just amend me in their head, okay? I I remember with our children, okay? I remember the the first birth. I'm not going to get into the story because this is there's, there's the kids here? Okay, but anyway, I don't want to do that. But I know the suffering. I was kind of suffering myself. When they gave Jill the epidural, I was like, can I get one of those? You got a two, those two packs? Those buy one, get one? Can I, can I get one? I know that suffering. But listen, all that anguish, as soon as we held those babies, it's like, babe, you, you know what you just did? You know what you just did, right? Now you're like, this baby's beautiful. I'm like, really? Have you seen it? It's, all right. But this is, that's the idea. Going through that suffering, going through that, you see the glory behind it. You see the beauty behind it. 
You see, our suffering in this life becomes bearable in light of unending joy and glory in the presence of our Christ. And I believe from this text, Paul makes four things clear about human suffering. And I'm going to walk through those things with you. First thing, number one, our present suffering is real. We do not need to downplay it. Let me give an example. Being in the, in the school, both teaching and in administration, teachers, if you talk to us, will tell you sometimes students come to us with issues that in the grand scheme of life we think aren't real issues. Maybe you're a parent and your child has come to you after a breakup that lasted all of two weeks. All right, that relationship. He or she gave them the best two weeks of their life. And mom and dad, you know what you're tempted to say? That's okay. No, don't worry. It's, oh, come on. You'll get over this. But, but hang on for a minute. You've been married to your spouse for 20-some years. You, you get love a little bit. You haven't been married 50 years. You get love. You understand it. That's the strongest romantic emotion your teenager has experienced. Don't make light of it. But at the same time, you understand something. You understand that that's not all there is. See, listen, their hurt is real. Don't minimize it. Don't say, there's, there's more fish in the sea. Well, I wanted that fish. You know, don't minimize their pain. Here's, here's when I learned this. You ready? When Ella was little, we went to the grocery store, and they had those like helium balloons out for your birthday or whatever. I think it wasn't even her birthday, but she wanted a balloon, and I spoiled my daughter. You understand? There's a phrase in our house, behind every spoiled daughter is a bald-headed father. Okay? And when she says balloon, I said, absolutely. I don't care what it said. I think it might have said like uh, happy anniversary or something. I got her this balloon. She gets in the car. We get in the van. We get out of the car. And you know what's going to happen? So you're, already, you're already weeping with me, right? She gets out of the van and lets it go. And her joy, her crown, her glory just floated away. And her despair, you know, if I could have jumped, I would have, if, I, if I had any kind of vertical leap, I would have gone for it. I thought about climbing the tree. I was like, how fast can I get? I couldn't do it. But listen, you might look at it and go, it's just a balloon. All right, if that's the case, think about your wallet floating out of your pocket. Uh, right? Ladies, think about that engagement ring. Uh, right? Okay? Nerds, think about that new MacBook. Okay? You're feeling away. I could look at you and go, it's just a MacBook. It's just a wallet, right? But listen, that suffering's real. That suffering's real. And guys, listen, our present suffering is real. God has clearly testified in His Word to the reality of suffering. Suffering springs from the abuse of our freedom. According to this passage, suffering and evil began when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They subjected creation to futility is what it says. And the effects of this first sin not only leads to our human suffering, but also to the suffering of all of creation, it says in this passage, that all of creation groans for the removal of suffering. Think about that. Creation is waiting for us to be glorified because they get to be a part of it. 
And our continued sinfulness leads to the understanding that suffering is to be expected in this life. Guys, suffering is real. We're going to face it. I wish I could look at you today and say, I hope you never face suffering. I saw 30 graduates sitting in these two rows in front of me, and I wish I could tell them their life was going to be perfect and carefree and problem-free. The people that they love are going to love them back, and they're never going to be hurt. But the reason why some of us, many of us cried as they were leaving, not just because we would miss them, but because we knew we couldn't be there to protect them. Campus dad, I can't do it anymore. I promise you if you'll call me, I'll fly, I'll drive to that campus. I'll do what I got to do. But you're, under, you're out of my care. Suffering is real. It's going to hurt. Another thing we learn from this passage is, though, our sufferings are temporal. Our present sufferings are temporal, meaning they don't last forever. Paul says that our current suffering is not worth comparing to our future glory. And as I said, we were reading this passage, it has the idea of it's not worth comparing. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time to try to compare suffering in this life with our hope in the restoration of all things. It's a waste of time. Now, listen, that's not to downplay, Paul doesn't say that, to downplay your sufferings in this life. He's not saying that. But to magnify the truth of the glory that awaits you. You understand that? He's not saying this doesn't count. He's saying compared to what awaits you, imagine. Imagine. Like sometimes when, we, when you get um, people together who are older and they've gone to high school together, maybe you meet a high school buddy again, and you, you remember you tell old stories. And remember, athletes, the, the, the older you are, the better you were at that sport. But have you ever gotten with some old graduates, maybe high school or college graduates, and talk about the things you used to wear, do, say? You ever look back at an old yearbook and think, what was I thinking? Okay, I, I'm, this, you may not believe this, but in my high school yearbook, and I should have brought a picture, but I don't want this. This is being streamed. I don't want this out there. I had that 90210 Jason Priestley haircut. Three of you understand that reference. The rest of you are Googling right now that look. I had that. What was I thinking? That's probably the reason why the hair left. There was so much product, the hair was like, I can't take this. All right? And we look back and go, what? we talk about things like, you remember when we used to do this? You remember when we used to hang out? Guys, this will date you. Do you guys remember any of you when we used to, Stratford Road was the cruising place? Three of you nodded. The rest of you are like, I can't, it's church. We would drive down Stratford, turn around in a parking lot, drive down Stratford. And my kids asked me, what would you do? Look for girls. That's what we did. And we put the best looking guys up front, the advertisement. I was in the back of the hatchback, <laughs> tinted windows all around, with my knees up, yelling, was she cute? You know, right? She got a friend. Okay? We think back on that and go, remember we used to do that? Listen, in the glory, in the kingdom, we're going to look back and go, you remember when people used to die? You remember people used to get sick, hurt each other, and die? Isn't that crazy? Like, think about that for a minute. The things that we fear the most right now. In the kingdom, we're going to look back with almost a snicker going, are you, are you imagining me? We used to die. It's crazy. Because death will be no more. See, that, that idea right there is, the, is behind this idea that our glory that's waiting us, 
there's no need to try to compare the sufferings to that. Now, I'm not trying to downplay what you've gone through. I'm trying to magnify what you're going to experience. You see, this would, it would be dangerous for us to see the circumstances of our suffering as unending. We would, if we imagine there's no light at the end of the tunnel of our suffering, we would despair and dwell in hopelessness and frustration. We would begin to defiantly question God's goodness and allowing our suffering or His power for refusing to stop it to define our theology. Guys, we can't do that. We can never let our circumstances define what we say about God or what we believe about God. We have to do the reverse. We have to let what we believe about God, what we know to be true from His Word, define our circumstances. That's what we have to do. Otherwise, we define life by what happens to us, and that's foolish. The next thing we do, we have to remember, is that our present sufferings are a result of the fall. Our present sufferings are a result of the fall. Now, this is, there's a theological truth found in our suffering, but it's not about the character of God. It's not that God's a bad God and wants you to suffer. It's the fact that the origin of our human suffering was found in the fall of man when the first man and first woman chose to rebel against their creator and use their God-given freedom of choice to rebel against him. We see this. Look at verses 19 through 22 in this passage. For the creation waits eagerly, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Because, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, Adam, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been growing together in the pains and childbirth until now. Now, what Paul describes in this passage is this idea of what's natural evil. Natural evil is the result or the suffering we experience uh, by nature or by virtue of living in a sin-cursed world, natural disasters, diseases, and death. However, the fall of man also accounts for the sufferings that we experience because someone hurts us. These things are called actual evil or moral evil. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this, when souls become wicked, they will certainly use this possibility to hurt one another. That's why you've been hurt, because our hearts are wicked. Romans 3 taught us that. We hurt others, even when we don't want to. Human suffering is not the result of God's untrustworthiness or some lack of control on His part it's ultimately the result of the fall. But there's something more here I want to submit to you before we move on. And that's the term Paul uses here as your present suffering. He says that, your present suffering. Now, it's not referring to one specific suffering, but really all the sufferings of this present age. That's the actual terminology Paul's using. This present suffering, he's talking about the sufferings of this present age. Because according to Paul, and we see this in Jesus as well, according to Paul, human history can be broken up into two sections. You ready? This present age and the age to come. That's how he breaks it up. This present age and the age to come. And according to the Bible, this present age is the time from creation until Christ returns. 
Okay, so from creation till Christ returns is the present age. And here's how this is described in the Bible. It's described as being a time of suffering. We see this where in Mark chapter 10, Peter began to say to them, see, we've truly left everything and have followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. He's saying you're going to experience suffering right now. It's also going to be a time marked with foolish thinking. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish wisdom, or fo- made foolish the wisdom of the world? This present age is also marked by disobedience. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Two more things. It's also marked by being a time of evil. In Galatians, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. And finally, James says in verse 315 that it's demonic, that this, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So this present age is going to be marked by suffering and evil. However, the age to come refers to the time after Jesus' return and lasts for all eternity. That's why it can't be compared. We have temporal suffering now, but unending glory later. And that leads me to the final truth that Paul is sharing with us in this suffering, about suffering in this passage, and that's finally this, that all suffering will end when Christ returns. All suffering ends when Christ returns. Verses 23 through 25, Paul says this, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we, wait the, as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we await for it with patience. This portion of the passage reiterates that already but not yet aspect of the Christian life that we referred to in an earlier passage in Romans 8. The idea that we are already guaranteed eternal life, but not yet in eternal life. Because we're marked, our life is marked with suffering. J.B. Phillips, he's the guy who gave us the what a ghastly thought phrase. J.B. Phillips writes this. I like the way he said it. He says, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. I love that idea. They're on tiptoe. They're trying to look and see. Paul does not minimize our suffering here. In fact, he paints it much like he does with how creation feels with suffering. We groan. And that's a neat word, this groaning. It's a cool word. The Greek word is stenazo. I'm not going to ask you to pronounce it, but I just want you to know it's stenazo. And that word groaning used here in this passage means to sigh inwardly, 
to give vent to difficult or contemptuous feelings. Have you ever done that? Have you ever vented? Everyone here is more saved than me. Sometimes I vent. Now, sometimes I sinfully vent. I use the phrase, I'm unloading the clip. That's sinful venting, where somebody left the dish out, and all of a sudden I'm upset about the war effort. I'm upset about tsunamis. I'm complaining about everything. I'm like, dude, somebody just left the dish out. Why don't you stop venting? Okay? But I'm talking about a righteous venting, where these things ought not to be this way. Let me give an example the first time I, I feel like I experienced righteous venting, I went to a funeral for a child who had committed suicide, eight years old. And I'm angry in that seat. I'm just angry. I'm angry at the way the world is. I'm angry at the, the messages that communicated to this young man that it's easier to take your life than face this. I'm angry at it. Because it's not supposed to be this way. Well, Rick, you shouldn't get angry. You should join me. This should not be this way. That's righteous venting. Did I go out? Did I hit somebody with my car? No. Did I throw a punch? Thought about it? No. Because what I'm angry about is this world system that corrupts people. That's what I was angry about. Now you think, wow, Rick, you're a little angry. You know what's kind of cool? <laughs> Jesus did it too. In Mark chapter 7, I'm going to put this verse on the screen. In Mark 7, verses 32 through 35, we see this. They brought to Jesus a man who was deaf. Oh, went too far, guys, sorry. They brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside to the crowd privately, or from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. Now, I want to stop there for a minute, because this is really cool what Jesus is doing here. What's this man's problem? He can't hear, and he can't speak. So Jesus puts his fingers in his ears and pulls them out. Think, think about it. He's, he's doing this to him. And then he spits and touches his tongue. You know what he's doing? He's communicating to this man getting goosebumps just thinking Jesus' style here. Jesus is communicating with someone who no one can communicate with. He's taking the time to tell him what he's going to do before he does it. Whatever's clogging these up, I'm taking them out. Whatever's stopping you from speaking, it's coming out. But look what he does then. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, Greek word, stenazo. He, same word. He groans inwardly with feelings of venting, and said to him, Apophatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus understands that this world is not as it was intended to be. It was subjected to futility, death, disease, disabilities, and suffering by the fall. And he is expressing his divine frustration over it. I love that. Jesus is experiencing, he's expressing this divine frustration. Brothers and sisters, it's okay to feel what you feel when you suffer. 
It is okay to weep over the pain of this world. It is okay to vent righteous frustrations over the sinfulness of ourselves and others. It's okay to not be okay with how this present age is. And here, Jesus and Paul gives us permission to righteously vent frustration over things not being the way that they should be. But what separates us, this, uh, believers in Christ, with, from others is that our righteous frustration is not incurable. You see, dear friends, God provides His people strength to endure this temporal, temporal suffering while offering us hope in the ultimate end of it. Our venturing, our venting, I should say, our stenazo has something beautiful on the other side of it. We don't vent as those without hope. Now, before we end our time in this passage, I, I want to spend the remaining moments sharing with you a few ideas that I've gotten from this passage that we can take home with us, because in reality, we're all going to experience suffering in this life. Either we're facing it now, we're coming out of it, or we're about to go in it. So what I want to give you is a few things that I've seen from this passage to help us understand suffering better. Now, I know this is not an exhaustive list, and many of you who have experienced suffering or are currently experiencing suffering may want to chime one in. And if you do, please let me know. I'd love to add this to the list before we send it out to our congregation tomorrow. But here they are. First, we should understand that suffering is real, but it is not forever. Suffering is real, but it is not forever. Because our suffering is not permanent. This does not negate the reality of our suffering. It's real. It hurts. And we should avoid all schemes to avoid or ignore or stuff our suffering and pain. I want to make sure you make that point. I just said that correctly. We need to avoid stuffing our pain. What does that mean? I got this when I was in college. I was in my counseling classes, and I was a new believer, and the professor was sharing a story about when his mom passed. He said, I remember the prayer I prayed when mom died. He said, Lord, help me to feel the full weight of this loss. And I remember sitting in that seat going, why? That goes against everything I've heard. We pray things like, Lord, give them peace, give them comfort, give them grace. Basically, please let them avoid feeling hurt. It's like, why would you pray that? But then he finished. He said, Lord, please let me feel the weight of this loss so that the weight of the loss drives me to you. And it hit me. All of my life, I try to avoid pain. Even in the way we pray. Have you ever heard us pray? Lord, give us a good day. Which, now listen, I'm not saying, Lord, bring on the pain. I'm just saying, God uses suffering to make us more like Jesus. What we're saying is, keep us from the things that make us more like Jesus. We should pray something to the effect of, God, whatever you bring today, help me to handle it in a way where I'm more like Jesus at the end than I would be right now. Our suffering is real. It hurts deeply. But we should commit to feeling this hurt in all its depth, but with a full understanding that the beauty and the glory that await us. Next thing, we should place our hope in the restoration of all things, not in the relief of temporal 
suffering. You see, this idea kind of builds on the last one, that we should be careful to stuff, not to stuff our feelings. Experience these hurts in a, in a righteous way, righteous venting. But the Bible's clear that we're not promised the relief of temporal suffering. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We're going to face suffering. Now, this doesn't mean that God sometimes won't grant us relief from our pain and suffering, but when God does grant it, we have to be careful to glorify Him for what He's done. But what I want to suggest here is that our focus should be on the ultimate and guaranteed removal of our suffering at Christ's return. We feel all the hurt associated with a sin-cursed world, but with a confident expectation of the coming age. We grieve when death occurs, but but with hope in the resurrection. We lament the evil that permeates every aspect of us, but with longing for the day when we'll be made sinless. This has to do with a shift of, of focus. We put our hope in the permanent restoration, not in a temporary fix. Number three, we should remember that God uses our suffering to His glory. Now, I know this one hurts, but we see this. The Bible's clear that suffering can be used by God to mold us into the image of Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is like, I'm evangelizing all the Roman guard, and all the brothers are going, look at what's happened to Paul and how he's handling it, and now they're bold in their speech. It's amazing. Number four, we should remember that our suffering shows our identity as children of God. That our suffering shows our identity as children of God. Earlier in this passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17, it says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that He may also be glorified with Him. Hebrews 12, 7 says, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? You see, the New Testament is clear. It describes our suffering as an indicator of our unity with Jesus. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Our suffering shows our identity as children of God. And finally, I want to suggest the most important thing to remember from today's passage. If you only remember one thing, it's this. God has chosen to share in our suffering. God has chosen to share in our suffering. Now, what do you mean? He's he's with me while I walk through it? Yeah, but a little more. The hope we have beyond our current suffering is based solely on Christ and what He's done. His eventual restoration of all things is only possible through the gospel. 
And in the gospel, Jesus takes on the flesh of humanity and shares all the aspects of our humanity without sin and subjects himself to a brutal death on a cross. Hebrews 5, 7, 8 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus knows what it's like to cry, guys. He knows what it's like. To him who was able to save him from death, and he, has, he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Hebrews 12, 2, you know this one. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then Philippians 2, 7-8, that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Friends, Jesus gets it. He gets it. He gets your suffering. He gets it because he experienced it in all of its power. He walked 33 years on this earth and suffered in this earthly life. He bore all the weight of our sin, guilt, and shame when he suffered on the cross. But that's not all. Jesus suffered, but through his suffering, he was exalted. In the remainder of that passage I just read for you, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says that God has highly exalted him and given him a name the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, Jesus' suffering was purchased or has purchased our forgiveness and salvation. His suffering has paved the way for His restoration of all things when all things are under His authority. Beloved, isn't this a wonderful truth? The fact that we don't have to fear suffering because Jesus has paved the way. Isn't it beautiful to know that God understands our suffering because He's entered into it willingly in the person of Jesus Christ. He has felt rejection. He knows the pain of false accusations. He has experienced betrayal He felt the sting of death, both of others as well as his own. He gets it because he's been there. So whatever suffering you've experienced, whatever you're going through, or whatever you're about to go through, our Lord is with you. He's made that promise to you to be with you all the days, even to the end of this present age, as he says in Matthew 28. He's promised that you will forever be in His presence in the age to come. Beloved, may these truths come to your mind as we experience suffering in this present age. Will you pray with me? Our Father, our great God, our magnificent, awe-inspiring Savior, The only thing I feel to pray at this moment is may the truth of your word change everything. That we have a hope. That our hope is not a a guess. It's not a, I really hope it's true, but it is a confident expectation.
of what you've said is true. Father, we're experiencing suffering. We're hurting. Father, some people are hurting physically. Some are hurting emotionally. Some are hurting in their families. Some are hurting with just wondering, praying for your return. But Lord, in the midst of our suffering, may the hope we have purchased by your son Jesus, may it change our suffering. Lord, thank you that your word has taught us that you walk with us in our suffering. We hurt, we grieve, we sometimes righteously vent, and you're right there with us. Father, I pray for the day soon to where your presence that we cannot see right now becomes your presence that we can see. Father, we long to look at your face. Lord, I long to to be held by the embrace of the one who's loved me more than anyone else has. Lord, I long for the day when you set all things right. But while we wait, may we know you're with us and may we walk with one another through our suffering. And we pray this in the name of the one who loves us more than anyone, our Lord Jesus, amen.